This is the podcast for the British International School New York and welcome to Disney Behind the Scenes, the podcast where we talk to staff, parents and pupils to find out more about life at the school. In this episode, we're getting down and dirty in Forest School. I'm joined by Jen and Paige and together we discuss first of all their own education from when they were young and then we learn all about what Forest School is, how it looks in practice at Disney and we discover the skills that can be unpacked and developed by outside life. But we also hear what Paige and Jen love most about living in New York City and also what Jen misses most about London. So come with me and let's get exploring with Forest School at Disney. Paige and Jen, welcome to Disney Behind the Scenes. It's great to have you both here. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. Uh, just getting ready to start the day. Uh, it's a muggy morning, unfortunately, today, okay. but I'm hoping that the sun will come out later. I will be joining the Year 7s for their PE lesson. Excellent. Uh, just for people listening then, Year 7, how old are they? They are 12 years old. 12 years old. Fantastic. And Jen, how's your day looking so far today? Well, thank you. As Paige said, not the best weather in New York this morning. And tell me how a typical Friday looks for you, given the fact that we're recording this on a Friday morning. Uh, we always have a whole school assembly on a Friday morning. So those are virtual at the moment. Everybody's just joined their assembly on Zoom. Um, and lessons will be getting started very shortly. Right. Well, today we're going to be talking about a number of different things, including forest school. So I'm really keen to unpack that and hear a little bit more about forest school life and how it looks at, at Disney. But I wonder if each of you, first of all, could just tell me a little bit about your own education, where you went to school and what your own experience of of school life was like when you were younger? So I am born and raised in New York City, went to school all throughout in the city in Manhattan, and continued on in college and graduate school at New York University, um, and went on to get um, my master's degree in school counseling, and have done some dabbles in school as a nursery teacher. Um, I did some private tutoring as well as a CIT, which is a one-to-one -one teacher. Okay. And found myself here at Disney. Uh, this is my fourth year. And I've been on the learning support team. And I am now the student support counselor. Okay, so you talk about the learning support team. What, what is the learning support team and what does it actually do? How does that help the students? So we provide support for those students who might need extra help with the curriculum. Um, so either we do push in or pull out sessions, whether it be in literacy or in math, um, and provide some extra work for them, as well as possibly some extension work if that's something that they need as well. So it's definitely something that is really great to have in school and, and just provides that extra individualized attention um, for our students. Okay, got it. Right. Thank you for that, Paige. And Jen, your accent kind of gives you away as, as not being a local New York kind of girl. Uh, where, where did you grow up and where did you go to school and what was your experience like? Yeah, not a local New Yorker um, from London. So my school experience, uh, state primary school in London um, and secondary school, uh, both had really great opportunities in the school. And I went to university to study psychology before doing my PGC, uh, my teacher training. 
Um, but my education journey is not over because I'm going back to school next year to do a master's on the West Coast. Ah, okay, right. So let's go back to university first. Which one did you go to? Was that in the UK? Yeah, first Loughborough um, and then St Mary's for my PGC. And a lot of people when they go to Loughborough tend to do something sports related. Is that what you did? They do. And then someone always says, what were you involved in? And I have to sadly say not a lot, because unless you're (laughs) playing for your county, um, it's quite elite. And so you're either a professional or you're not taking part in sports. So fortunately, I don't have an amazing sports claim there. (laughs) And then you say that next year you're going back to school West Coast. What's that all about? And where are you doing that? So I'll be going to Stanford to do a master's in international education and policy analysis. Wow, okay. And is is that a good place to do something like that? I imagine it is. Yeah, um, and I'm just really interested in sort of international education and education programs and understanding the impact that different education programs can have and how you would measure the success of a program um, in different countries. Um, so hoping to learn a little bit more about that. Okay, right. Got it. Thank you for that. Now, we're going to talk about Forest School, but for anyone listening to this who doesn't know what Forest School is, just tell us in a snapshot a a little bit about how it looks. So it's an outdoor learning programme, and it's a model in which we take the children to an outdoor natural space so that they can consolidate some personal, social, or different technical skills that they wouldn't otherwise be able to learn as well in the classroom. Uh, So it could be something from learning how to do a bark rubbing to learning risk-taking, developing a sense of risk-taking if they were climbing a log, for example, or trying to climb a tree. And so these are skills that we can't teach as well in the classroom. Um, And so really taking them to this outdoor space to provide them the opportunity to explore and develop different skills. So risk-taking, that's an interesting one. How do you get that balance right between looking after children but encouraging them to take risks and helping them to develop as they grow up as well? I think there's an age piece there. Some of the younger ones are a little bit fearless and will just want to climb a tree and keep going. And so we have to give them a few prompts and reminders um, and we're always on standby making sure that it is safe. And sort of the older they get, the more they're developing this sense of self and an appropriate level of risk and they'll know sort of when to stop climbing or maybe when they've gone high enough. And, and also developing their understanding of what they feel comfortable with and what they recognize as safe. And that's the beauty with this program as well is, you know, there, there is some structure to it without it being completely structurized as you would necessarily in the classroom. So, you know, while we, we do let them sort of take on an active approach to this, there is that behind the scenes, you know, telling them what they can do and and how to do it and do it safely. And then they go from there. So given the fact that Bisney is located right in New York City, where do you actually do forest school? Yeah, so it is a challenge. We're in the concrete jungle. And so people aren't going to think, ah, forest school in New York City. The two don't naturally go together. But You would be surprised of the sites that you can actually find in the woodland area. Um, We found three really great areas in Central Park. There's actually a nature sanctuary in Central Park, and there is a lot of woodland area. We also have Governor's Island, where there are nature-based programs, um, and a huge uh, place called Prospect Park, which is actually in Brooklyn. 
Um, and so there is a lot of green space. It just tends to be in one section, one specific zone. And now that we've found those areas, it's definitely possible to achieve uh, what we're trying to achieve without it being necessarily our own backyard. We do have greenery in New York City, contrary to popular belief. Uh, we do have trees and, and grass. Uh, we just need to be able to find them, which we have. Um, and these places are just a short bus ride away. So it's not anything that we need to travel to far and wide, but they are really in our backyard. Yeah, that's really good that they can experience that by it being actually relatively close. It's not a case of, like you suggest, it's not a case of having to go on a trip in order to experience these. They're, they're kind of there on your doorstep. you just got to know where those places are, I guess. Exactly, and it's taken us a few uh little reckies to go out and find them and there's definitely some places that we've had to write off one location where we uh, bumped into a raccoon uh, which oh, we right. didn't think would be <laughs> as suitable to start with our class picnic so some some places that we thought would be suitable had to be taken off the list but it's been fun researching yeah oh, i'm sure it has been the children have been great sports about it as well uh we were trying to enjoy our lovely sandwiches and made a friend uh, in Central Park and and we just packed up and turned away and the kids were on board for it. So they've been great sports as well. So tell me how it looks then. Say if if some of the children are going uh, on the bus to Forest School, talk me through how it actually works. How does it look? What I might experience if I was one of those children? So the first thing I think is the yellow school bus. (laughs) That's so exciting for the children. That's an event (laughs) in and of itself. So we we get on our yellow school bus and once we arrive at the site, we have all our equipment in this um, sort of wheelie cart and we start with a sort of family style picnic on our picnic blankets and then have a little bit of free time to run up some of our energy. They've been sitting on the bus and sitting down for lunch. Um, And then at the site we're using at the moment, we then walk into the woodland area And we always lay out um, some orange cones so that the children know the boundary of where they can sort of explore. And we try to get a balance of giving and providing enough activities, but letting them have the choice and the freedom to explore. So we're not saying you have to do X, Y, and Z, or now it's time to do this activity, but we have different options out that we've previously taught them. So for example, There'll be all the equipment they need to do the leaf rubbings or the bark rubbings. There'll be equipment to do a little mini beast hunt. We take magnifying glasses, little uh, pots to catch their bugs in, the tweezers. And there'll be binoculars for bird watching. So we leave the resources in different areas. And then it's really for the children to explore. But they'll often do something completely different. And in the site we were in last week, they were collecting big sticks and logs to make sort of like a little teepee. And so there'll be things that naturally happen that don't need any equipment. Um, Or they'll start telling a story based on something that we've done in class. And so they'll also just lead their own play. That's really reassuring, given that the school may well provide apparatus for them to use. But equally, they're able to go off and find their own natural apparatus, I guess, in order to create something themselves using their own imagination. Is that right? Yeah, and I think that's something that we've seen that's that's been really special, um, that they are able to go and explore and be active in their learning. 
Jen had mentioned that, you know, we, they've read a book recently in their classroom called Room on a Broom. And at this site, there happened to be this broom-like branch, which basically sparked them to recreate the story on their own. They seem to have remembered the timeline of events and all the imaginary language that was used in the book of the whooshing of the trees and, and sorts. And they acted it out together without any scaffolding or, or any guidance from us as the teachers. And they, they made the book come to life. Wow. Yeah, it was really magical to see. Um, and this play was totally spontaneous. We didn't guide them in, in any way. Um, but it was it was really meaningful. And so there it is. That was the beauty of the outdoor play and, and why we believe in forest school so much. And I guess things like Room on a Broom, you know, that that's the kind of story that they would have heard in class, I imagine. And now that they're outside, you know, creating their own version of Room on a Broom, that cements in their head, I guess, the learning that they would have got in class, you know, maybe a week or two weeks beforehand. Is that right? Yeah, and it's not something that they would have necessarily been able to do the same way in the classroom. They might have retold the story with small world characters, but they wouldn't have been able to act it out themselves and be the characters on the broom. And they found a stick that was going to be the wand that she dropped. And they had a leaf that was the bow from her hair. And that wouldn't have been possible unless we had taken them to that setting. So Mm. it really does help to consolidate story language. And so we talk about the skills that they're developing, but it really goes across the curriculum because actually here they are in forest school developing literacy skills and story language. So Mm. there really is Mm. no end to the skills that, that they are developing. And it just ties together the, the curriculum that they're doing in school and giving them another way of being able to bring it to life outside of school. And mm, that's, mm. that's something that, you know, you typically don't see if we wouldn't have our school. OK, well, let's look a bit closer then about that idea of bringing it to life. And Jen, you mentioned about skills there as well. What, what sort of skills are they developing in that situation where they're creating that or recreating that story in forest school? So with that example specifically, they're developing the skills, the sort of literacy skills of storytelling and using the language, but they're also developing their ability to play with each other because there's mm-hmm. different characters involved and who's going to play which part. And I wanted to be the witch, but you want to be the witch. So now we have to negotiate because we have a bit of a conflict. Ooh. And so yeah. there's a lot of personal and social and emotional skill development through play because it's a team effort and everyone has a part to play in it. And so that side is just as important as the academic side. And play, play is very important at this age um, for their growth and development. Um, and as Jen mentioned, it's, it's not only for their cognitive and physical strengths, but also their language and social skills, which is very vital at this age. A, a lot of the students that we see, this is really their first sort of school setting, um, community mm. setting. And at this age, they need to learn how to share, how to take turns, how to be part of a community. And mm. this is the perfect setting to be able to do so. And from what age do they experience forest school? 
So it started in our early years programs. So we have children from three in the earlier classes, children who are three turning four, and then in the class above that, children who are four turning five. Um, and we take them as a whole group. Um, and then our hope is that it will be a rolling program from then. So uh, this year's group will continue next year when they begin year one, and the new cohort of early years will have the same experience. I see. Right. Okay. So let's jump back to our day in the life of going off to forest school. Uh, so let's imagine that we've got on the yellow bus and we've gone along there and we've been exploring things. We've been recreating Room on a Broom, maybe Gruffalo because Room on a Broom was last week. So it's Gruffalo this week and, and something else. What happens next? Do you, do you stop for a snack or drink or do you explore uh, more bark rubbing or leaf rubbing? What happens next? It really is guided by the children and what they're doing and what they're interested in. So for a lot of sessions, they're moving around exploring different things. They might move to try and do some bird watching or they might go over to see who's found the worm and that will be a, a 15 minute sharing activity of everyone looking at the worm and where are we going to leave the worm. Um, and so we actually try not to interrupt or break the flow. Um, because mm -hmm. we see that they are immersed in something and so we just keep that going as long as we can um, mm -hmm. and some children need some guiding or prompting in between of oh, why don't we come and explore what might be underneath this log or have you tried doing your leaf rubbing and what different leaves can we see today and so it might be prompting and guiding individuals but we really don't want to disrupt the children when they're sort of in that flow. And as us as teachers, we are constantly moving around through all of these workings to see how they're doing and how they're getting on and maybe to connect two groups if somebody's trying to find worms in this area. And then we have some other friends here that are trying to find some ants. Well, let's see, can we maybe bring them together to see if maybe we can find some more mini beasts hmm. we we did happen to find that that giant worm so <laughs> that was definitely one for the books yeah uh, and and I'm guessing that this kind of environment is a good opportunity to teach children about the natural world around them and how to have a good respect for the natural world around them you know thinking about that example of the worm where do you put the worm back to so that the worm is happy is, is that true does that work it does. And, it, and it's not only that, but it's also how do we care for everything around us? So, you know, with that worm, we need to hold it with a flat palm. We don't want to, you know, pinch it with our fingers because that's going to hurt the worm. So, mm. you know, how can we share it? How can we put it on our flat palm and then share it with a friend so they can have a closer look? Um, mm. You know, or, or can we use a magnifying glass um, to look at it closer? Um, and then, you know, from there, we sort of guide them to say, you know, do we want to put it back in the dirt or put it on a log? Where Where is the best place for that worm to survive? Yeah. We've also had some projects that started in the classroom. So we had um, some caterpillars and we kept them in the classroom. We had a net, we were feeding them, uh, we saw them chrysalize and turn into their cocoons and then the butterflies emerged and we took those to forest school to release. Uh, mm -hmm. We also had the same with uh, ladybirds, ladybugs, we have mm -hmm. to say both. <laughs> right. And we watched their life cycle in the class, so this was sort of bringing in our science skills, which 
it does lend itself to a classroom setting because we have mm-hmm. to observe closely. We need certain equipment and tools. Um, mm-hmm. And so we observed the, the ladybirds in from their egg stage to the larvae to the pupa and then the ladybugs. And again, we took them to forest school to release them and talked about where the best habitat would be and Mm. making sure that they had plants and leaves. We didn't want you to put them on the grass and what food they might want to eat. So where would be best place to release them? And things like that are really magical for the children, but it also helps them to learn about the life cycle, the science side, but also caring for living things. And one of the Mm. things that we're hoping to do to sort of finish the unit is for the children to take action on our lower playground, which doesn't have grass or plants, but we're going to think about what we could do to share our lower playground and Mm -hmm. encourage insects and to give them a a space on the playground too. So that will then carry on back in our sort of school setting, looking at planting um, and gardening and what plants will be best to use and can we make an insect hotel. And so we, it's, it's not like the nature only happens in forest school, we can bring it back to the classroom as well. That sounds amazing. That sounds like a great opportunity to bring elements of forest school back into uh, back into the school site. That really does sound good. We're, we're going to bring this to a close in a moment, but I've got a couple of quick questions for each of you before we do go. Paige, as someone who's grown up in the New York area, what would you miss most about the city if you were to be lifted up and dropped into another city or maybe another country? What would you miss most about New York? I think I would miss the the eclectic sense of of New York City. You know, we're we're basically that melting pot of of so many cultures and, and so much diversity that mm. I think I I would miss that. I I love getting on the bus every morning to come to school and you never know who or what you are going to see um, when you are out on the streets. And that's something that I um, generally look forward to every day. So that sounds great. And Jen, how about you? What, are the, what Tell me what are the things you miss about London most of all now that you're living currently in New York? Mm, that is a tricky one. I was thinking the reverse. I think I would miss the spontaneity of the city. But for the other way around, things that I miss for London, on a personal note, friends and family, obviously. As for the city itself, I don't know what I can say. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one. It wouldn't be cotton cream or anything. A nice scone. Yeah, my scones. An afternoon tea. Scones and clotted cream and jam. <laughs> you know me well, Pedge. You know me well. Clotted cream and jam with... A, with afternoon tea i like it fish and chips very difficult to get a good fish and chips here or curry mainly food i think my <laughs> it's all food related it's, it's all food related i miss the the fish and chips around the corner and the curries just aren't the same oh really okay right so fish and chips curry clotted cream jam scones got it <laughs> Understood. Uh, well, look, Jen and Paige, thank you both for being here today. If anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch with a follow-up question, what's the best way for them to get in touch, either with you or with the school? Uh, just via email. So I'm j.fortet, F-O-R-T-E-T, at bisney.org. The same with me, email as well, p.weiss, W-E-I-S-S, at bisney.org. Well, look, thank you both so much for being here and thank you for your time and for sharing your world of forest school at Bisney. Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much. Hopefully you'll be a tree hugger like we are. (laughs) 
So that was Jen and Paige talking Forest School at Bisney. Just a reminder, their contact details, if you wanted to get in touch, are j.fortet, that's F-O-R-T-E-T, at bisney.org, and p.weiss at bisney.org. So do feel free to use those email addresses to get in touch or check out the school's website, www.bisney.org. Don't forget there's a hyphen between B-I-S and the N-Y. So it's B-I-S hyphen N-Y.org. And also, if you haven't followed this podcast channel yet, then now is the time to do so because then when the next episode comes out, you get a small notification to let you know that it's there. So go and do that. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now.